Well, hello, and welcome to this new edition of Head and Heart, a podcast by Probe Ministries. I'm your host today, Paul Rutherford. I'm a research associate with Probe Ministries. My conversation today is going to be with a fellow colleague, and we're going to be talking about five ways to share your faith, five very different ways to share your faith. The fancy terminology is apologetic method. We're going to be talking about methodology. How do you do what you do when you defend your faith? Sometimes we put ourselves probe ministries into an, uh, what we call an apologetic bucket. And that just simply means to defend your faith or to give a defense for the hope that's within you. That's First Peter 3.15. So the conversation is going to be about different ways to do it. It's kind of a hot button discussion in the industry, something that we talk about a lot. Uh, It's a kind of shop talk, I'll be honest. So we're going to try and make this conversation not, again, just about the head, but also for the heart on how you defend your faith. I want this to be helpful for you and instructive. And really, I want you to pretty much get two things out of it. One, if you've never heard of these before, you're just going to learn. So pick up and listen, and I hope it's helpful for you. Two, if you have heard of these, I want you to think about critically about your own perspective and how it is that you defend your faith, how you share your faith, what beliefs you hold to. That's probably going to be the biggest indicator for which method or which school you fall into so that you can grow, you can be sharpened and you can be more effective because the whole point is the kingdom. The whole point is Jesus Christ and him crucified and more people believing in him so they can enter into glory. That's why you exist on this earth as a follower of Jesus. And so that's what this conversation is about today. So I have invited a previous podcast interviewee guest on here before, my colleague and coworker, Tom Davis. Glad you're here. Yeah, glad to be here, Paul. So I know that you have interest in historical studies, historical Jesus studies, uh, Jesus studies, resurrection, that kind of a thing, right? Yes. Yeah, that's uh, kind of my favorite stuff. Okay. Right. And you have your cred through, uh, you have a master's in apologetics from Biola. Yep. Okay. And since then you've, you, that when we say things like you're interested in the historical Jesus studies, that's just been an area of interest for you, right? You read when you have freedom to study and write and read, you're reading about those kinds of things. Yeah. Um, sometimes I have to take a break and, and study other things, but when, um, there's nothing outside of that, then I think I need to dress and spend attention on. I'm usually doing something in that area. Yeah, got it. That makes sense. So, Tom, the plan for this conversation is really to explain to our listener what these five different ways to share your faith are, and then you and I are going to talk about them. That's the plan. And in order to be most beneficial for our listener, to frame this up, I want to avoid name-calling I know it can be contentious. I've had many a heated conversation with other apologists about method and rights and wrongs and pros and cons. Uh, But I want it to be done in love because this is all what we sometimes call an in-house debate. Yeah. Conversations believers have with other believers on how to share their faith the best, how to defend their faith the best, really, to be more precise. So we're going to talk through, we're going to tell you what these methods are first, and then we're going to evaluate them basically. And I want it to be a frank discussion. I'm, you know, I'm going to share with you which one I fall into, which one I side on, which one I default to. But, you know, honestly, I, I kind of sympathize with all of them. And so it's not like you have to fit rigidly in one or the other. And we're going to talk about some of that too, um, Tom. So without further ado, having said that's, that's what we're going to talk about. There are five ways to share your faith. Yep. There's what we call the classical method. There is the evidential method or evidential school or classical school. Three, there's the cumulative case for defending Christianity. There's the presuppositional method, school, argument. And then there's the reformed epistemological method. Yeah. 
Okay, that last one has a lot of big words we're going to have to define. (laughs) But those are the five ways. So classical, evidential, cumulative case, presuppositional, and reformed epistemology. All right, so I've, I've set them up. That's what they are. Tom, why don't you define those for us and just give us kind of a baseline. What does it mean to be a classical apologist? Yeah, so a classical apologist is a person that uses arguments to uh, establish theism. And by establishing theism, they, they think they've raised the probabilities of the conclusion that Christianity is true. But before they get there, they establish theism, and then they move on and they provide evidences, usually evidences for the resurrection of Jesus. Okay, so it starts with establishing that God exists, yes. that, that there is a God. It starts there. It starts with kind of the baseline, or what I would say maybe the philosophical baseline. Yes. Why is there anything? Why is there a God? And it builds from there through use of arguments and lines of reasoning. Yes. Is that right? That's a good understanding of the classical Yep, method. that's exactly what it is. Yep. Okay, great. Moving on then. So what does it mean then to be an evidentialist or part of the evidential school for apologetics? Yeah, the evidential school for apologetics generally focuses on Um, demonstrating that the Bible is historically reliable. And so they will deal with, you know, historical questions um, and the reliability of the text. When were the books written? Is what the books record accurate to history? They jump straight into those kinds of questions, and most of them will focus on the resurrection. Okay. Yeah. So my understanding there of, of evidence, in addition to being uh, the reliability of the scriptures, is also the fulfillment of prophecies Yes. as, as evidence. This happened, and this is evidence that Christianity is true. Yep. Uh, and miracles performed by Jesus, yes. which again, as you said, as you implied, is recorded in the New Testament. And then the consummate miracle, the resurrection. Yes. Right. So an evidentialist then marshals evidence or the historical facts. So this happened, this happened, this happened. And that's the method they use to say, well, therefore, Christianity is true. Yeah, yeah. I think we got it. Okay. So moving on, there's a third school, the cumulative case method or way to share, to defend your faith. What's that? Yeah, the cumulative case method is not so much a method as it is kind of a, a way of approaching things. Um, so they're not, they don't care what order the, the arguments come in or anything like that. They're taking pretty much any solid argument they can find and they're bringing them all together to use all these different arguments to make one big argument for the truth of Christianity. Okay, good. Yeah, I've, I've heard it put that sometimes it's more like unto a lawyer giving a defense in a courtroom. Yeah. He's not a, he's not a professor. He's not a theologian. He's not writing some really tightly argued paper that's submitted to a philosophy prof or to a journal or something like that. He's instead he's, he's offering rhetoric. Yeah. He's offering a case, a cumulative case. He's building a case with multiple lines of argument that all point in the same general direction. So it's not necessarily as tight, not necessarily as uh, interconnected, but they all kind of, sometimes it's called a shotgun. I've heard it called that like a scatter shot. Like I'm going to throw all these things at you. And it just has this rhetorical effect. Yep. Of pointing towards the truth of Christianity. Okay, great. Yeah. That's the cumulative case school. Okay, there's a fourth method, which is the presuppositional method. So how, how do you defend your faith with a presuppositional method? The presuppositionalist basically says that all people have access to truth. And the reason they have access to truth is because God created a world that could be known, and God created us to know them. So to make any knowledge claim, Somewhere, even if it's hidden, somewhere is a 
prior acknowledgement that God exists, even if the person is denying that existence. Yeah, so sometimes I've heard it said that the presuppositional approach presupposes the truth that God exists and that his scripture is true. Yes. And that's sometimes where that word comes from, presuppositional. It presupposes that you believe these things are already true. Yeah. Or it assumes them. It assumes that God already is there and that his word is true. And then, therefore, there's a sense in which this school is on somewhat of an opposite end of the classical approach, where the classical approach begins with nothing or zero and then moves to building a belief in, in the faith of Jesus Christ. So yeah. God exists, not just God, the God of the Bible, who is revealed in Jesus Christ, and by the way, he died for you, so believe in him and follow the scriptures. This one goes the other way around. It says, yeah. let's start with the God of the Bible, and let's move backwards and kind of unpack or explain how this makes sense. Yeah, and they're really coming from a place where the, the evidentialist and the classical apologist will try to argue from a neutral ground. The presuppositionalist just comes right out and says, there is no neutral ground. Yeah, that's good. Okay, so uh, let's round out just this first part where we're trying to figure out what each of these is. And there's, uh, I'll comment here, that presuppositional method is the ending of what we call the big four. The, yeah. These first four are the, are the big four. They're most common, most popular. If you've never heard of these before, these are the ones that you're going to hear of. This fifth one I will owe to Stephen Cowan's book, Five Views on Apologetics. I'd never heard of it till I read that book. If you're into apologetics, get this book. This is going to be a great, great first book on all of these. In fact, there's lots of lots more to read on each of these things that you and I are going to talk about, Tom. And listener, you can check that out and read it for yourself. Also, this is where I guess I'll insert my hat tip. A lot of our conversation is going to come from this book. It's not exactly about the book. It's about the ideas, and we're going to draw from other sources as well. But it, it's really well exemplified in that book. It's a Zondervan book. It's a great book. Go get it. It's wonderful. Part of the, the wider five views or four views or counterpoints series by Zondervan. The uh, general editor on that one is Stanley and Gundry. And I have several of those books. And I know you do, too. And yeah. you know, I've talked about several of them. i got the one on um, on providence, on homosexuality. You know, I've got multiples of those, and there's super, super good. So those are the big four. And then the fifth one is the reformed epistemological method. Okay. So Tom, why don't you start us out? What is, how do you defend your faith from that perspective? This perspective is basically you've had an experience or you've had some kind of encounter with God uh, that has brought you to your belief. It's kind of a defensive method. So until that person can provide sufficient reasons to show that your experience or your encounter is invalid, then you are justified in believing that Christianity is true. So it's it's kind of a, it's the one that probably sticks out the most in these, and in, in that it's more of a, a defensive case instead of like coming out and like, here's my evidence, here's my argument, and this one is saying, you know, I believe this, and unless you can show me my experience is invalid, then I'm justified in believing it. Okay. Yeah. So the way I understand this one is it's uh, it, the words reformed epistemology. Epistemology just means the study of knowledge. And for yeah. it to be reformed means it's altered or changed. And the epistemology, the way we understand knowledge, is talking about, I think, probably what's the best evidence of the, either the presuppositional argument or school that we know these things are true, that God exists and that his scriptures are, are true and accurate and genuine and reveal truth and reliable. And, and that that's all built on this epistemology that we can know these things. And so it's trying to explain that connection between faith and reason effectively. But the reformed epistemology is that understanding of knowledge is itself 
modified. It's changed. It's a, we don't have to necessarily justify or legitimate this knowledge, knowledge of the divine. It is itself knowable. And it's, it's, a, it's a justified true belief, as we sometimes call knowledge. Yeah. Um, and so it, it begins with a somewhat of a different starting point. And so it's kind of a modified position on, on both of the other schools. So that's why Cowan creates a, a fifth separate category for this type. Um, so thank you for defining that for us, Tom, and, and setting this up, setting up this, this conversation. So before we go on to kind of the discussion, the next thing we're going to talk about is sort of a pro con to each. I really want this to be kind of informative and introductory podcast episode on different methodologies, different ways to defend your faith, Tom. But before we do that, I'm going to call you on the carpet and I'm going to say, which one are you? <laughs> which one are you? Where right now, where do you stand? Which one do you favor? Yeah. No um, judgment. We just want to know where you're at. Yeah, I would fit best in the evidential category. Okay, tell us why. Well, because I think God reveals himself through Jesus, and Jesus exists in the natural world. So if I can establish certain facts, primarily Jesus' resurrection, but, you know, other things such as his miracles, his teachings, his fulfillment of prophecy, then I've provided an evidence that Christianity is true. Okay, so I hear you saying that you consider yourself an evidentialist or you fit in that camp the best because uh, Jesus is the revelation of, of God yes, incarnate. And because of his life and because of his ministry and because of his resurrection, you think these are all the strong, these are the strongest evidence for Christianity. Yeah. The beginning of Hebrews touches on that. It doesn't exactly justify <laughs> evidential apologetics over the other ones, but the beginning of Hebrews says, uh, God revealed himself in the prophets. He has revealed himself more clearly in Jesus Christ. Mm, very good. All right. Now, I'll answer the question. I'll go. And I will say I fit best in the presuppositional camp. And, and that's because I I agree with the, the beginning tenet, that man's depravity. I have such a strong view of depravity that when other schools like classical apologetics are built on knowledge and reason that we can think our way to God, I personally believe that our, our reason itself is... Uh, affected or it's fallen itself that all things that God made in the beginning were broken by the fall. And that includes our minds includes reason. So I'm just super skeptical that we're able to think our way to God. In fact, I don't think classicals that's, that's sort of an unfair statement uh, to say that a, a classical apologist would say, Oh, we can think our way to God. They would, they would acknowledge, no, it requires revelation. It requires that on, on some level, but I just have a strong, such a strong view of it that I think it makes more sense to start with revelation. It makes more sense to start with God and then to basically unpack or show, hey, here's why this makes sense. Here's why it's reasonable to believe or justifiable to believe in God. So that's where I stand. I stand presuppositional. I'm very open to all the others. I think they're all great and wonderful. And anything, again, like I said from the beginning of the podcast, anything that points people to Jesus is gonna is gonna be what matters. Yeah. <laughs> Everything after that is, you know, we're talking about technique. We're we're talking shop, which is fun because that's you know that's what you and I do, Tom. Yep. We do this all the time. It's just right now we have the uh, microphones out. We turn on record <laughs> so that you can be benefited here, friends. Let's go into this a little bit more because I think this is fun, probably helpful for our listener. Um, give us a little bit of just a quick history, Tom. You're evidential now. Have you always been evidential? No, I haven't. All right. So tell us how you arrived here. I, I kind of came into apologetics um, listening to guys like R.C. Sproul, Ravi Zacharias, and then William Lane Craig's debates. R.C. Sproul and William Lane Craig are classical apologists. Uh, Ravi Zacharias calls himself more a conversational apologist or, or a moral apologist. 
So I was listening to those guys, and so I kind of first came in as more classical, learning certain philosophical arguments to show that God is true, bringing in kind of intelligent design. Um, I kind of came in from a um, intelligent design background when I got into apologetics. I was actually a biology major instead of a philosophy major. So I would use that to like demonstrate creation and establish that God exists, and then once I could establish that, then I would move to the resurrection. And so that's where I started out. Okay, interesting. Yeah, and so my position changed because I didn't used to be presuppositional. I started out classical, kind of like you in that similar sense. I started out with my introduction by um, William Lane Craig, who's wonderful and great. And I also, mine is really, I think, tied... I think I have to admit this. It's tied tightly to my theological understanding. And I grew up in a faith tradition that was more on the Arminian side. And so, you know, not typically as strong doctrines on sovereignty or the depravity of man and different understandings of the doctrine of election. And those are things that have changed theologically for me over the past, I don't know, let's say decade or so. I've, I've moved uh, <laughs> really far away uh, that I basically fit into a Calvinist camp. I have a much stronger view of, of the doctrine of election and of sovereignty and of calling and, and of these things. And so along with that goes my understanding of the depravity of man. So I, I've moved that way. And so I've moved in from really far, you know, from the classical side to over to where I am now to presuppositional. And um, that's, um, that's funny. Although, you know, I have to give a, a shout out or it's do a lot of that. Some of it has to do with our, our former colleague, Rick Wade, yeah. who's wonderful. We love Rick Wade, former probe staff. When I first came on at probe, I interned under, under Rick and he, and he had me read in Van Til. And that was my first introduction to presuppositionalism. And man, I just thought it was so strange because <laughs> I was coming out of a classical understanding. I'm like, no, you begin with nothing and you have to build the argument. And Van Til is just like, no, you start with everything and then work backwards. And it just blew my mind. And at the time I, I was so, uh, I had my hands up. I was like, no, this is ridiculous. You can't do this. I was resistant. That's the word. I had my yeah. defenses. I was resistant to that position. And so it's kind of ironic, I think, that I would today be here talking with you, Tom, and saying, nope, I'm a presupposition. <laughs> so maybe if anywhere, if Rick's listening, you are, you can be vindicated. I won't speak for Rick. I don't know what he, where he stands on that, but uh, some of the things that he had me read have definitely changed my position as well. And it's all been good. The, the change has all been towards faithfulness. And again, the whole point is about how are you calling people to Jesus? How are you defending your faith? The, our presupposition, our presumption tom this podcast for our listeners that you are sharing your faith yes and for a lot of them yep. they're not like just statistically we know from barner research from pew research it's a tiny tiny minority what's it like one percent less than one percent something like that of bible believing christians actually share their faith and so listener hey if that's you be encouraged okay you that you are being faithful and doing what you should and maybe that's discouraging to you i don't know i don't want to discourage you but man keep being faithful keep sharing your faith keep defending your faith tom and i want to have this conversation to help you out so tom we're super close to time we filled it up just talking through i was hoping to do a little bit more analysis on each so maybe let's do this let's just talk through um each school and let's let's make I'll give you one comment on each school now that we've talked through each. So okay. um, let's, yeah. So what comment or analysis would you have for the classical school? I think the classical school spends too much time, like if I were to critique it, um, too much time trying to prove the existence of just a general theistic God, which can lead you anywhere, deism or anything like that. And 
I kind of got to a point where I wanted something that was more direct. And I got to a point to where um, certain comments I heard... I heard someone on one of the podcasts I listened to, like, um, I can't believe in the arguments of the the God of the classical arguments, but I can believe in the God that revealed himself through Jesus. You know, so different things like that kind of brought me into that. But I think the strength in that is that you have tight logical arguments. I think that's the strength of the method. So the the strength of that method is is the tight philosophical arguments. That's yes. good. Yeah, I would say here that this is really beneficial for speaking with someone who's not a believer. It's really good for someone who doesn't take for granted that God exists. Now, I'll add a caveat here because what I found from my own experience is that a lot of people who don't believe or reject these arguments, don't do so from an intellectual perspective. They will argue, I have done this from my experience, I've argued with non-believers on argument and on philosophy, and that wasn't really the problem. The real, the real honest, the problem was their hard heart. Yeah. They didn't want to believe. They don't, they don't want to submit to God's authority. They don't want to change their life. And if they're really honest, they'll admit that. Some of them have. And I've, I've had some of those conversations. Um, and so that's the warning uh, and also the commendation to you, listener, this is probably a good way to go if you're talking with someone who doesn't believe. And that's a great question um, that I've I've learned through learned through the pastors at my church. If hey, you doubt that this is true, hey, if I could prove to you beyond the shadow of a doubt, would you believe in Jesus? Just starting there is a great starting place. If they say yes, okay, great. Let's talk through it. There are philosophers who've done the work. Let's talk through what what they've thought through. But if it's a no, well, then you know where you stand. You yeah. really you really know what the issue is. Okay, that was classical. All right, let's make one comment on evidential. What you know? What what helped you for the listener about the evidential school? Yeah, and I came through the evidential school was kind of a long process. I, I kind of became an evidentialist before I realized I was an evidentialist, and that started when I was working on my master's degree, taking a class on on the resurrection and taking a class that was a survey of Jesus' life, and I find myself just drawn and really interested in into that so and i think that since who jesus is is the heart of christianity that's where the strength of it lies yeah so that's that's kind of where i landed there is that yeah there's a benefit yeah. there in previous conversations I've heard, I've heard you say this tom so you can correct me if i'm wrong but if i can marshal a historical case for jesus existence the accuracy of what's recorded in the New Testament, that his doctrines are accurately recorded, and those are true, then what it reveals about him makes all the difference. Because now he's deity. Now he's divinity. Yeah. Now he has died for your sin, and you have a sin problem, and you need to deal with that, and he's offered a solution. So it's kind of like, it's kind of like a one-step apologetic. Like, if you give me Jesus, then I, I got it. Yeah. You know, we're, we're there. You're yeah. already on board for Christianity. It's true. Yeah. As N.T. Wright says, has been saying lately... Um, historical Jesus studies is natural theology. Interesting. Okay, so what help can we offer to our listener about cumulative case apologetics, or that way to defend your faith? Yeah, the cumulative case apologetics is, like you were saying, it is kind of a, a shotgun approach. You're building a case. There's no specific order of things that you're trying to reach. I think in this case, it's probably more conversational than the other methods, and that's probably the strength of it. Whatever they're talking about, you can start there and start building your case with whatever it is they're talking about at that mm -hmm. time. And that's probably the strength of the of that method of apologetics. Yeah, I, I would say that I think cumulative case is, there's a sense in which it is descriptive. 
Yeah. It, it looks at reality of real believers defending their faith and, and says, how are they in fact doing it? Yeah. And it's often, it's almost always is a combination. It's Hey, there are good arguments for this. If you want to talk through syllogisms for the existence of God, let's go there. Maybe we do do one also. Hey, does it make sense? Kind of goes on the, on the attack or the defense, if you will, yeah. I guess the attack. Hey, does it make sense that anything exists at all without a God? Like, where did it come from? Right. There's another yeah. line of evidence. And then you have uh, or line of argument. And then you can go the, the evidential route and talk about this awesome guy, Jesus, who no one in history disputes actually existed. You can marshal all, you can kind of combine all of them and you don't really even have to do them in a tight or precise way. You can just kind of mention them and, and over like the, the cumulative, the sum total of all of those rhetorical arguments made together puts you in a really good spot. Um, it's really organic. Yeah. You know, on, honestly, that's probably where I kind of end up doing a little bit of all of them. And, and so that that's, this is another name for that. Just that methodology. Yeah. Doing it that way. Okay. So that's good. How about presuppositional? How can we help our listener think through the presuppositional method? Yeah. Like you were saying earlier, I do think the strength of the presuppositional method is it recognizes our fallenness. It recognizes that when it comes to discussing religion, there is no unbiased person. Not even the agnostic is completely unbiased. Uh, so it acknowledges that we're all starting somewhere when we enter the conversation. And what it does is it question which of these starting places is the valid starting place. Yeah, that's good. So I'll speak from experience here. I find I use this one the most with believers. Yeah. And in that case, it's defending the faith isn't to get them to belief because they're already there. Right. I mean, yeah. that's the definition because, you know, I'll be real, real frank. It's it's friends at church. It's friends that I meet in ministry and in, and in life, you know, since I'm a minister and in kind of the church bubble. So it offers, it functions in a different way. It's not so much uh, arguing to defend Christianity because you don't believe in it, trying to get you to belief. It's sort of as something, Tom, you know, you and I discussed in a, in a previous episode on this podcast about trying to sink the level of certainty in a believer's heart down. So I think it was a quote by Tim Keller yeah. uh, in a book by uh, Dr. Justin Bass, uh, Bedrock of Christianity. Yeah. Yeah. He yep. quotes Tim he Keller as, as saying, Tim Keller read through a book by N.T. Wright about the resurrection and just how, what a great historical argument we have for it. And Keller basically testifies, man, I, I was already, I believed it. I was sure I was certain. And then after reading it, just the experience emotionally, like it just, that, that certainty just sunk down several more floors down to the bedrock in my heart. And it was just fascinating. It was, it was really interesting. And, and so um, oftentimes when I'm using a presuppositional method, it's with believers because I want that certainty to go down even farther. I want them to know that what you believe really is true. And so that's another benefit to apologetics, which is funny because we don't talk about that a lot either. Sometimes it's always it's always seen as this battle right between non-believers and believers. But again, to be frank, most of the time I'm doing it with believers. And yeah. again, it's not to get them to believe. <laughs> it's to get them to greater levels of certainty or greater levels of confidence so that they can be the ambassadors for Christ that God's called them to be to, to begin with. Yep. So super good word. We need to wrap this. So let's say one more thing about the reformed epistemology school. What's, what's one thing that's good about that that can help our, our listener as they're defending the faith? Yeah, I think the reformed epistemology is the most different in that it's almost not trying to convince the other person that they should believe as much as that it's trying to show the other person, like, I've had this experience of God's presence in my life and you have no rational arguments against it. So you have to deal with my experience. I think that's the strength. That's kind of the angle that that's coming from. Alvin Plantinga has offered that. Like if if someone were to arrest you and you were accused of murder, 
and they tell you the time of it, and you were like, well, I was walking through the woods, and they say, well, all the evidence has you here, we have the fingerprints, we have all these things that show you're here, and you can't produce any other witness to verify that you were walking through the woods, you're still justified to believe that you were walking through the woods when that murder happened. And that's kind of how Alvin Plantinga would explain it. Interesting. Interesting. Very helpful. So it gives you kind of a bit of a layup on the front end in terms of things that you don't do or don't have to defend. And from there, you can use lines of evidence and argument to produce the defensible nature of Christianity. So it's, again, a kind of a blend of other schools, and that's helpful, too. Yeah. That's very good. Um, thanks, Tom, for sharing that. We've been having a conversation today about five ways you can defend your faith. We've been drawing largely from Stephen Cowan's book, Five Views on Apologetics by Zondervan Press. It's a great book. Um, Tom, I know it's been foundational for both yourself and myself, for both of us individually. I also endorse this book. Go get it. Go buy it. Go read it. It's not easy. We'll just give you a little warning on the front end. It's not easy. you got to think through it. It's not a light reading. It's not summer beach reading. But it is good and it's worth it. So go check that out. We have lots of other resources about this topic in terms of how you defend your faith on our website at probe.org. You can go and check those out. There's multiple good resources there, articles in addition to this podcast. Thank you for listening to this podcast. If you liked it, give it a good rating. Give it a good review. Please share with your friends and subscribe. We would love to continue a relationship with you where we can build into you so that you're an ambassador for Christ with confidence and ways in which you can grow to be more like Christ and be uh, no longer culturally captive. Like we always are all growing more like Christ, those of us who are in Christ. I've been your host today, Paul Rutherford, on this uh, new episode of Head and Heart, a new podcast by Pro Ministries. Thanks for listening in. Tom, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. It's been super fun, and we will see you next time.